wheels fallen off the Brexit bus? Here we are four years on and we still don't know what the government are planning to do with the industry. And with most of the potato crop out of the ground, how's trade looking? Things are getting a little bit more excited for the Christmas rush. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. As well as George Dunn, CEO of the Tenant Farmers Association, Chris Elkington from Galston Lamb and Colin Jackson of PJP Potatoes, we're joined as usual by Sean Sparling with timely agronomy advice and we'll get a market update from Kit Dickinson at Openfield. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard. Let's start our look at the week in agriculture with the headlines. And farmers and vets have been praised for making quite a bit of progress after figures have shown a significant drop in the use in animals of highest priority critically important and antibiotics, a key to reducing antibiotic resistance in humans. The UK now has one of the lowest levels of use in Europe, with a 21% drop in the use of HPCIAs between 2018 and 19. There have been discoveries of the H5N8 strain of avian flu in Lincolnshire and elsewhere. The whole of Great Britain's been made an avian influenza prevention zone, meaning keepers of more than 500 birds now have to restrict access for non-essential people, ensure workers change clothing and footwear before entering enclosures and disinfect site vehicles regularly. DEFRA has published three general licences for the control of certain pest bird species from January. NFU County Advisor for Lincolnshire, Rhonda Thompson, it's probably easier to say which species have been excluded. The herring gull and the lesser black-backed gull have actually been removed from general licences. Um, the situation, though, is if, if a farmer or landowner has got a particular need to carry out control of that type of gull or are near to a protected site, they, they will have to apply for a, an individual licence and that will then be considered. And the fact that that, that DEFRA has published this information two months before they come into effect is really encouraging because it gives us everyone time to look at the detail. And it does look as if things are moving in in that way, but it is much more practical and straightforward for our our members to to use. What was wrong with the old licensing system then? (laughs) It, It was a bit more ambiguous. For example, things like we want to make sure that the licenses can be used effectively by the landowner by their land manager, their tenant, or or someone that comes in as a pest controller. And we've had situations before where the authorisation required, it hasn't been sufficiently clear. So it looks like things are moving more in that direction. It certainly seems more straightforward. Quite a bit of work's gone into getting this licensing system changed, though, hasn't it? It has. I mean, DEFRA called for a comprehensive review in May 2019. And um, the NFU called on members to submit evidence to support what they're looking for in in the licensing system and we then spoke to had a consultation with DEFRA back in December and it looks as if that has been taken into account and we had hundreds of members who responded so we're very grateful for that because it's helped to, to form these these licenses that we hope are more fit for purpose now. I think it's it's really encouraging. It's a move in the right direction and it, it is enabling our farmers to look after their livestock and their crops more effectively uh, and in a responsible manner. And um, hopefully, hopefully uh, this this will will please everyone. Excellent, Rhonda Thompson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Steve.
And to the confusing, frustrating and in many cases worrying topic of Brexit now. George Eustace was on TV last weekend and his appearance on the Andrew Marr programme has caused much consternation in the agricultural world with concerns over a lack of a deal, tariffs and so on. One sector that was discussed with the DEFRA secretary was sheep farming. We'll speak with concerned Lincolnshire farmer Chris Elkington of Gelston Lamb in a moment. First, I'm joined by George Dunn, chief executive of the Tenant Farmers Association. George, the TFA's said it's worried that the farming industry in the UK faces a, a difficult road ahead. We're getting very close to deadline for the Brexit talks. Have the wheels fallen off the Brexit bus? Well, Steve, we are very concerned that that's exactly what has happened. If you go back to the EU referendum of June 2016 and the statements that we had from the government post the referendum about, you know, we were heading off to the sunlit uplands, that we were able to take back control of our laws and for the first time we would have access to the levers of of influence in terms of agricultural policy. We had the Health and Harmony document under Michael Gove, which set an aspirational uh, a timeline for the industry and here we are four years on and we still don't know what the government are planning to do with the industry we're waiting for that announcement at the end of the uh, uh, end of this month and we still are waiting to see whether we've even got a trade deal with the 27 member states that we're leaving behind so I think very much we are in a difficult spot. George Eustace was on TV last week and it has been said that he seems to have confused more than clarified certainly when it comes to tariffs. Yeah indeed and and he used two very strange analogies one the uh, Arla Lurepak uh, analogy by saying effectively the way in which we could run our policy would force Arla to make its lure pack in the UK. But they can't do that, can they? No, because it's, a, it's, 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 a, it's licensed to Arla um, by the Danish government to produce in Denmark. Um, so there's no way in which they could um, bring that production here. And then to say that sheep farmers would be able to diversify into beef production, you know, it doesn't seem to uh, give a, a semblance of understanding the, the way in which these businesses operate. Now, we're going to speak to Lincolnshire farmer Chris Elkington in just a moment about the lamb sector, but that sector is particularly concerned that a large proportion of its export market is going to disappear effectively. Yeah, and we've known that for a very long time, Steve, that the the sheep industry is at the forefront of the challenges here uh, with uh, with, uh, Brexit. And obviously there are opportunities from Brexit in terms of finding new markets for sheep meat internationally, but we haven't done the work that needs to be done to develop those markets before we lose the prime market that we've known uh, for the past 30, 40 years in the EU. Chris Elkington from Gelston Lamb. In your view, if there's no deal, what happens to lamb? Um, It's it's not good. You know, they're talking of a 40 to 50% tariff on on lamb, you know, heading to Europe. To 89% of, um, of our total exports goes to the EU. You know, it makes our lamb pretty much unsaleable. You know, it's going to shove the price up in Europe, um, you know, colossal amount. So price will go up in Europe. What about price and demand in the UK? Yeah, I mean, we would just, it would just go, put a downward pressure on the UK prices. You know, you would end up with, you know, a lot more lamb on the market at home. And, and, and it would just put the price down. It seems quite scary that 
nobody seems to get that. Yeah, I mean, it's just worrying whether they haven't done enough research or whether they're just turning a blind eye to it. I mean, I think he's probably just turning a blind eye to it. I think they've just sort of decided that, oh, they'll be able to diversify into something else or they'll find something else to do, and, 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 and that'll be that. It's not as simple as that. Mm, now, with us in lockdown version two, how's things with your business? Yeah, we're going OK still. Possibly not quite as busy as we were the first time round, but... Um, no, we're still doing okay. We're still people are still supporting us, which, which is great, um, and, we're, and we're still being able to sell it. You know, and, and we're still doing the deliveries once a week, and um, and then selling it like that, which is which is great, really. You're working your way around it one way or another. Yeah, we keep we keep trying to find you know different things to to add. Like we've added a, a Christmas hamper, and we just sort of build your own burger box, so, which things that can be done for gifts and stuff like that so yeah we're always thinking of new things to do good man george to say that sheep farmers can just diversify into cattle it's a non-starter surely you just can't do that exactly it's not a solution that we would routinely say was the the go-to option for, for farmers who are in the sheep industry who have worked hard to develop their flocks and to uh, stratify their, their their businesses and and to focus on on the stuff where they've got the skill set. You know, cattle is a completely different kettle of fish uh, altogether. So no, it is it's it was a weird one for the Secretary of State to to, to use. Obviously, there's a big problem. We need to address it. And uh, one of the reasons why we were arguing for a pause in our transition to uh, the, the new post-Brexit era was because we simply need more time to think about how we do these things in a in, in a post-Brexit way. Given what we've had this year with COVID and so on, do you think a pause is possible? I think we've gone beyond the point now, uh, particularly with the Agriculture Act having received royal assent, where we are going to, to see a pause. Now, I get the point, Steve, that the situation with COVID and the government's response to it has caused it not to be able to focus on some of the issues around which we have been debating on on policy and trade uh, since the beginning of the year. But what's unforgivable is pressing ahead anyway without properly thinking through the the implications for that. But sadly, I think the moment for a pause has has disappeared and and we do look like uh, facing a bit of a challenging future. So we are just, what, seven weeks away. What ideally would you like to see happen in that seven weeks? Well, number one is we need a very comprehensive announcement from uh, DEFRA about uh, how it is going to plan the seven-year transition from uh, 2021 to 2027 and what farmers should expect in respect of things like the basic payment scheme, the development of the new environmental land management scheme, the offerings for productivity. We need to um, ramp up the... Uh, uh, the the work on getting a trade deal. Now, we may go over the top on the 31st of December without a trade deal, uh, but one hopes that both sides will see how awful it is to operate without a trade deal as soon as we're out and and something will happen in the early part of next year to put that uh, in in place. And and thirdly, uh, we just need to understand what the government will do by way of contingency if we end up in a position whereby we're we're not able to, to have access to those markets going forward. If we get to December 31st, midnight, and no trade deal is done, is that it? Does everything just collapse, or can they carry on talking? Well, no, of course they can carry on talking, and what we're hoping, Steve, is that 
we might go over the top, as I say, with a, without a trade deal on the 31st of December, uh, but both sides will see the need to come quickly to a, uh, an arrangement whereby a trade deal is put in place in the early part of next year. George Dunn, Chief Exec of the Tenant Farmers Association, and Chris Elkington from Gelston Lamb. Thank you both very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Agronomy Now with Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. Morning, Sean. Thoughts on the situation? Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. George Eustace. Is it just me, or does he seem to anybody else to have won his ministerial position in a raffle in the House of Commons? I've seen him. He seems to be the, the government wheel-out. They wheel him out to talk on every subject. Over the last six weeks, I've seen him talking about coronavirus, the environment, business, health, foreign policy, domestic policy, pensions. You'd have thought he's got enough to do with an industry that's on his knees, with the looming no-deal Brexit, tariffs in and out and you know a whole sugar industry on its knees because of the virus issues you would have thought he's got enough to do without doing the job of every other minister by standing up and speaking for them and for their department because they can't be bothered to do it you know and some of the things he's coming out with about sheep farming and everything else it makes you wonder if he actually gets any fresh air at all apart from Emmerdale quite extraordinary um anyway look let me stop ranting short and sweet it'll be this week we can see christmas looming so things are starting to calm down a little bit we've had a drop of rain wednesday afternoon it was more of a torrential drizzle with me but i understand out lednam and newark way it was more like four or five mil which has wet the job down a job which isn't particularly drying at the moment anyway but still mild a lovely mild week crops still growing like bilio the chlorophyll's fluorescing. They look fantastic out there in the field. But the bits of yellow rust and mildew and septoria that I can find out there in the field, I'm just ignoring it. It's going to look after itself. Don't waste your time and your money putting a fungicide onto a crop that, you know, the weather, a few frosts will deal with that for you over the next couple of weeks. And just make a note of where these issues are out there in the field to prioritise them when it comes to your fungicide season in a few months' time. Pre-emergence herbicide as well working really well we control very good out here remember flufenacet you can put a total dose of 360 grams on and that's if you've used liberator for example at 0.6 pre-m that's put 240 grams of it on you can follow that up with another 0.3 before the end of december um, as long as you've followed all the rules and you've put it on at the right time with the initial dose and you don't go beyond the specified growth stage but flufenacet has a half-life of about six weeks so if you top up with another half dose six weeks after the initial dose it's like putting a full dose on now the well drilled and the black grass fields which were looked after and drilled sensibly and treated well got their preems on they're showing very little in the way of black grass some of the earlier drillings that we talked about that went in in late september early october into black grass land the panic drills they haven't made it i understand across the county and the country and those fields are now in wheat 2.0 on the second go slugs have reappeared as well things dampened down and stayed mild over the course of the last seven days but in general the crops are growing much faster than the slugs can harm them just monitor the situation prioritize the slower more backward or those yet to emerge crops as it cools the slugs should move down into the profile but also as it cools if they've stayed high in the profile these crops won't grow away from the damage so readily so know your hot spots get the traps out and just be prepared if the situation arises remember ferrous phosphate much better in wet conditions anyway for all of the reasons i keep banging on about but definitely don't put metaldehyde onto the headlands 
close to water courses or onto waterlogged fields. That's not good for the industry and it's not good agricultural practice. All seed rape, the disease levels have increased in the last seven days. We said FOMA was falling away a little bit last week, definitely increased this week. We're finding it on some of the newer leaves now, but it's the light leaf spot which is moving more quickly. So check those disease thresholds and prioritise your dirtier varieties and the smaller, more backward crops. Yes, and as well, by the way, it is still too warm to put propizomide on. Soil temperatures have increased in the last seven days. They haven't fallen, so it is too warm to get the most out of propizomide. It'll still work as i've said but it won't work as efficiently as it would if you wait till it cools down so there's plenty of time to put it on you can go till the end of january you can put it on on a frost so make sure you get it on in the best conditions and get your money's worth out of it and that's eight degrees c and falling at 10 centimeters or 10 degrees c and falling at 30 centimeters there your soil temperatures on friday they were 12.6 and 14.1 respectively and that's up on last week winter beans remember you're aiming 25 plants a square meter is your optimum plant count pre-emergence as well means pre-emergence as i said last week when it comes to herbicides on beans so get them in nicely if you can although that might be easier said than done looking at some of these fields and the situation we see out there um it wasn't it so much easier when we used to broadcast them onto a stubble then roll them and plow them in a bit of damp never stopped that job did it so that's about it on agronomy. Haven't heard anything from George Eustace since I wrote to him about active ingredient revocations a couple of weeks ago. He's been far too busy, though, clearly. As I said earlier, though, probably best to ensure that your own paperwork and your own department are being looked after, George, rather than popping up like the shopkeeper in Mr. Ben on the telly all the time. Anyway, a good growy week behind us. A little drop of rain, not an awful lot. A few warm days, plants growing like billio, herbicides doing their jobs and crops growing faster than the slugs can eat them. Happy days. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. As we touched on last week, a group of Lincolnshire growers who have already obtained support to get the AHDB to hold a ballot over the future of the horticulture levy are seeking to do the same for the potato sector. An initial independent ballot conducted in July indicated a high level of discontent among potato growers Growers. And the objection is to the payment of a statutory levy, currently nearly £43 a hectare for growers and 19p per tonne for merchants, for which many say they don't receive value for money. To trigger such a ballot, signatures must be obtained from 5% of levy payers amongst English potato growers. That's 123. Now, speaking to one of the organisers this week, it looks likely that figure will be reached in the next few weeks. And if so, the AHDB will be forced to ballot levy payers, probably with one simple question. Do you want to pay a levy to the AHDB? We'll have more on this when the next stage is reached. And while we're on the subject of potatoes, Colin Jackson from PJP Potatoes is with us. How's the market looking, Colin? Well, the uh, the spud trade is still relatively slow. We're obviously still having the effects of the uh, the second lockdown. Um, fish and chip trade is still uh, probably one of the more buoyant sectors, um, but it's still not up to its usual levels that we would see at this time of year. Um, the packing trade again, you know, is 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 plodding on steadily away. Um, things are getting a little bit more excited for the Christmas rush. Um, certain varieties, people like King Edwards at Christmas, for instance, um, are starting to shorten a little bit as uh, as the packers are trying to make sure that they get uh, the quantities that they require for the supermarkets. But uh, in general terms, things are really still quite slow. And is everything out of the ground now? 
Um, nearly. Uh, there's still one or two little pockets, um, but I would say we, we, we must be a good 90% out of the ground. Um, and that 10% that's left is probably on some of the, uh, the hardest soils. So there may well be a percentage that actually, you know, doesn't now get out of the ground this year, but I think we'll certainly get to 95%. And how's quality and quantity looked Yes, generally speaking, um, quality is looking pretty good. There's a little bit of um, early dormancy break. So, you know, there's one or two varieties that are starting to chit already. So that's having to be controlled, um, you know, with temperature controlled stores, uh, this kind of thing. But um, generally speaking, yeah, quality is okay. And yield wise, as it's turned out, I think yields are... They're not bumper yields, um, but certainly yields are probably average or there or thereabouts. Colin Jackson, PJP Potatoes, as ever, many thanks. Yes, thank you very much. To the markets and prices now, here's Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The imminent prospect of not one, but two vaccines for COVID-19 breathe new life into the markets in the hope of a return to normality sooner rather than later. Looking closer to home in the EU and UK prices continue to rise with analysts now focusing on the tight feed grain situation which we have referenced previously. Domestic prices in Russia and Ukraine also continue to rise with both feed processors and millers calling for further export restrictions through tighter quotas or taxes. Major exporter wheat supplies are now at the lowest since 2007-2008 which leaves little room for any crop issues going forward which cannot be guaranteed. We also have dryness concerns in the Black Sea and, more concern, La Nina, which could be detrimental to the crop in the powerhouses of Brazil and Argentina in particular. The combination of weather, tight stocks, politics and China will keep prices underpinned, with price direction taking its lead from soybeans and maize, which we have seen in the past. Those hoping for some price relief will be hoping that the recent hike in Australian crop prospects takes the steam out of the market and they can plug some of the demand gaps that will be coming their way. But moving forward to barley, the main focus remains on execution of existing sales with consumers trying to work out what will be the demand going forward with the prospect of two vaccines now in the late stages of trials. Clearly, some chance of normalisation with regards to the bars and restaurants will skew the current outlook for current lockdown restrictions across Europe and beyond. Market values have remained relatively static this week with limited real follow-on from the news as the above filtering through to the actual purchases of barley. All eyes remain on Brexit with news of the outflow suggesting that talks are going to be well underway, followed by the news that we are getting close to an agreement. It depends which one you believe. Elsewhere, a new entrant into the fast-growing world of hard Zeller's drinks, fizzy alcoholic water from Coca-Cola, which sees the Topo Chico brand entering the UK market, with expectations high for this new category into the UK having proved extremely popular in the US since its launch last year. Oilseed rate markets continue to be driven by the oilseed complex and veg oil news. China continues to buy soybeans and weather conditions in South America continue to reflect dry conditions hampering crop production numbers come harvest early next year. With the news that there are now two vaccines close to being approved for emergency use in the US, along with the UK effort showing positive signs, global markets have reacted very positively to the news, albeit with some levelling off in the last day or so. However, veg oil markets continue to drive higher, and these, in turn, have been supported by the oilseed complex. Domestically, values have been supported as buyers return to the market. However, a note of caution, one buyer in the northwest is now looking to price physical seed until April 2021, suggesting that there may be a place in a large import programme, 
which was always to be expected, but perhaps resolved sooner than anticipated to satisfy the demand between spot and forward positions. Looking at prices this week, feed wheat 188 to 190 for November, February 191 to 193, May 194 to 196, and November 21, 155 to 157. Milling premiums are currently 17 to 19 pounds. Oilseed rate prices, November 351 to 353, February 357 to 359, staying at a flat price to May at 357 to 359. Feed barley for November is 139 to 141, February 140 to 142, May 144 to 146, and moving forward to November 21, 140 to 142. Malting premiums are currently £10 for a 185 nitrogen and 20 for a 165 nitrogen. Many thanks, Kit. So what's the weather got in store for us this week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. After some high pressure for the last few days, things return more to normal after today. It's going to be a bit cloudy and dry uh, for Sunday with the wind in single-figures MPH from the southwest. Highs of 7 or 8 Celsius. Bit of rain on Tuesday night, but otherwise a mostly dry week with wind staying south or southwesterly. And generally in single figures, apart from on Tuesday when it will be in the mid-teens, gusting to the mid-30s. Temperatures down to about 5 Celsius tonight, but up to 8 tomorrow. A cloudy but dry day, milder on Tuesday with lows around 9, highs of 11 Celsius. And as mentioned, 4 or 5 mil of rain expected Tuesday night, followed by a sunny but cool day with highs of 7, dropping down to 5 Celsius overnight. Thursday and Friday look mostly dry, mostly sunny, with a brisker wind and highs of 7 or 8 Celsius. Finally, a quick mention for the winners of the 2020 Midlands Agricultural Engineering Apprentice Awards. Four young people are the happy recipients of this year's award, the fourth such awards, supported by Geoffrey Bond, OBE. Congratulations to Liam Wright of the Canal and River Trust at Goul, Owen Bradley from Chandler's Spilsby, also Fraser Cross and Lewis Woodward, both of B&B Tractors in Mansfield. They will each receive a grant of £500. The winners were chosen by a panel of Newark and Nottinghamshire Agriculture Society judges in recognition of the valuable contribution they're making across the agricultural industry. That's all for this week. Next week on The Farming Programme, we'll be speaking to countryfile and former Blue Peter presenter Helen Skelton, who's joined forces with Arla to help educate youngsters on where their milk comes from. Until then, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.